Episode 338 of the Biz Talk Podcast. The Wichita Business Journal created this podcast because we want to provide you with some insight into the people, places, companies, organizations, and issues that are important to Wichita's business community. I'm editor Kirk Semenoff. The Wichita Business Journal held its first mental health summit on November 9th, and it was a terrific morning of dialogue about why mental health is so critical in the workplace and what businesses can and should be doing to address the mental health of their employees. The keynote speaker for the day was Eric Litweiler, who's Director of Donor Advising and Communications for the Mental Health Association of South Central Kansas. Eric laid out some fascinating and sobering statistics about mental health in our community, and he also lent personal touch to the conversation about mental health in the workplace. We'll bring you his keynote in this week's podcast. But first, here's a look at what's in the weekly edition of the Wichita Business Journal. The aforementioned Mental Health Summit is our cover story in this week's paper. We have coverage of what two panels of stakeholders had to say about making mental health conversations and awareness work inside the walls of companies. Our Mental Health Summit begins on page 12. We have two lists in the paper this week, Sedgwick County Taxpayers and Home Healthcare Agencies. See what companies pay the most in taxes and also see what companies serve Wichitans who are largely homebound and need individualized care. The lists begin on page 7. Our Young Professionals series returns with a look at standouts in financial services. You can meet these up-and-coming bankers, wealth advisors, and the like, beginning on page 16. Spend 10 minutes getting to know Courtney Wages, Miss Kansas for 2023, who's preparing for the Miss America pageant in January. Learn why working at Envision and spreading the word around Kansas about accessibility for blind and low vision residents is so important to her. 10 Minutes With is on page 39. Part of our mission is to help small and medium-sized businesses grow. One way we try to accomplish that is through our weekly lead section. We list bankruptcies, new real estate deals, building permits, new corporations, who owes back taxes, and court judgments. Our lead section this week begins on page 34. Equity Bank means business. That's why they've created business solutions to help you solve your business challenges. Visit them today at equitybank.com. As I mentioned, Eric Litweiler of the Mental Health Association was our keynote speaker for the recent Mental Health Summit, and we thought it valuable for business folks to hear what he had to say. Just a note, Eric gets intensely personal with his own mental health challenges during his talk, and while it's revealing for what his experiences are, it may not be for everyone. Here is what he had to say. Um... I see a lot of faces, now that I have my glasses on, <laughs> I see a lot of faces of people that uh, I've had the, the good fortune to be able to get to know over the last six years from having coffee, having lunch, sitting in your offices. Uh, so I obviously know that you care about this issue. And of course, on top of that, I'd be remiss if I wasn't incredibly thankful as well to the Business Journal for stepping up uh, and having the willingness to, to help us bring this topic to a broader audience. Um, so a few years ago, I was talking to a CEO in his conference room, and he shared with me that just a few months before our conversation, he had gotten a call from the father of one of his employees asking if he could come into the building and collect uh, the personal items from his son's office. And that is how that CEO learned that one of his employees had taken his life over the weekend. 
when he sent his HR person down to pack up the office for the man's father, she opened a desk drawer and she found the suicide note. So we are here today, and I am here today, to do everything that I can to keep anyone in this room from finding themselves in a similar situation, because I know that that story lives in that CEO's brain every single day. And I can only imagine the trauma for the HR person who opened the drawer and found a slip of paper that started with, if you are reading this note, it's because I couldn't take it anymore. I want to talk to you briefly about why mental health matters to our business community. And as the fund development officer for MHA, I think a lot about the financial implications of our mission on Wichita and the surrounding region. We know, for instance, that roughly 40% of all job turnover in the city is a direct result of untreated mental health. And I used to think that that was the result of companies who were not doing enough to be seen as engaged in the issue. In other words, I thought it was employees who were not feeling supported or cared about by their companies. And unquestionably, that is part of the issue. But what I've come to realize more recently is that no matter how great a culture you create, no matter how much you, you talk about the issue, there are always going to be a subset of employees who feel that their mental health struggles are caused by stress at work. And a certain percentage of those folks are going to feel that if they just change jobs, then they leave those job stressors behind. As it is, about 80,000 people employed in Wichita say that the largest stressor in their lives is their job. On any given day, about 1,900 people throughout Wichita miss a day of work because of stress. And about a quarter of a million people who are employed in this metro region report that they feel workplace stress so strongly that it affects their personal relationships as well. Now I want to go back to something I just said because I don't want to have glossed it over. 40% of job turnover is a direct result of untreated mental illness. So that means 40% of your recruiting costs plus 40% of your training costs and probably at least 40% of your health insurance costs. Because obviously there are inextricable correlations between mental health and physical health. You cannot have one without the other. By way of example, about 85% of people who live with schizophrenia smoke cigarettes, compared to less than 12% of the general population. Up to 70% of people with bipolar disorder also smoke, and that tobacco usage simultaneously worsens their depression symptoms and exacerbates their manic episodes. And 95% of people who use alcohol to excess smoke, in fact, alcohol is often used as a coping mechanism, I use that term very loosely, a coping mechanism to deal with common mental illnesses like depression and anxiety, even though it actually worsens both. Anyone not think that tobacco and alcohol directly hits your health insurance line item on the budget? To put a number on it, 
treating the physical symptoms of substance use disorders, particularly alcohol and opioids. Costs employee-sponsored treatment plans in Wichita about $67.5 million every single year. Now, if we, I throw in a lot of numbers out there. If, if, if we want to do the math about how that impacts you on a per-employee count, which is probably what matters to a lot of us, what that would come out to is an estimated cost for every single employee of about $7,000 per employee per year off of your bottom line. And I want to be clear, I'm not talking about per employee living with a mental health issue. I'm talking about per employee, period, full stop. So in other words, if you have 100 people working in your company, then your bottom line is $700,000 less every single year than it otherwise could be. And a large chunk of those losses come in the form of something called presenteeism. Now, those of you who have heard me speak before know what presenteeism is. If you haven't, basically it's the concept that Bob is coming into work every day, but all he can think about is the fact that his wife asked for a divorce last night, or they just put his mother on hospice care, or he's shipping his only daughter halfway across the country to college next week, and he's not sure how he's going to pay for that. So his body is in the building but his mind is anywhere but. And if he just took a day off of work to talk to a therapist about the depression or the anxiety that might come from any number of significant life changes that we all experience from time to time, then that would be absenteeism. But instead, he just keeps showing up to work every day, causing everyone to assume that he's fine. So any one of these issues that weighs on his mind creates a drop in productivity that can last for days, for weeks, for months on end. And that drop in productivity, just due to depression alone, costs our corporate sector about 10 times what absenteeism costs. Absenteeism just from depression alone costs Wichita about $147 million each year, meaning that presenteeism just related to depression costs Wichita 4.6% of our potential GDP every year. And that doesn't even consider presenteeism due to anxiety, substance use disorders, other types of common mental health concerns. So in light of this, you might reasonably ask, well, then why doesn't Bob just take a day off of work? And the answer to that question really does, in my mind, come down to company culture. In response to the question, I think everyone in this room has to ask ourselves today what kind of picture, what kind of images come to our mind when we hear words like mental illness. Because I would bet all the money in my pockets against all the money in your pockets that for far too many people in the city and far too many people in our places of work that when they hear the words mental illness they think of the Las Vegas shooting or the Newtown shooting or the Excel Industries shooting just north of here in Heston, Kansas. And that, my friend, is exactly what Bob is afraid of. Bob thinks that if he acknowledges his anxiety to you, 
then you will think he's weak. He thinks that if he acknowledges depression, then you will think less of him, that you will be afraid of him. Is he right? Because the thing is that all these numbers aside, there is a much bigger cost that can come from mental illness as well. And I know that a number of you have been touched by it. As some of you know, I live with depression. So in many ways, I'm very fortunate to work for an organization like MHA. Because of the things that I've learned at work, I know better than most of us the kinds of things that I need to do to sustainably address my illness. For instance, my wife knows that there may be times in our lives together when I need to text her to make sure that she gets home from work before I do so that she can hide my rifle. Failing that, my neighbor knows that I might bring it over to him for safekeeping for a few days, and I've made that same offer to him. I know the national text line off the top of my head. I know that the 988 telephone and text lines are live. I know that MHA has a warm line that is dedicated to crisis intervention seven evenings a week before an issue turns into a crisis. And yet, despite all of that, less than three weeks ago on a Friday night, I found myself at home sitting on my couch, and my depression had been triggered earlier in the day. My wife was out of town for a conference for several days. My neighbor wasn't home. I was alone in the house with a gun. And always the pragmatist that I am, I started rescheduling meetings for the following week based on the assumption that I wasn't going to be around. In the electronic ether that surrounds us all these days, there are texts, emails, and Microsoft Teams conversations with our chief operating officer, our chief financial officer, our senior directors of residential care, grants, and aging asking if we could move a meeting or if I really needed to be at that meeting. Now, was that me asking for help? Maybe. I don't really know the answer to that question because it requires a degree of introspection that frankly I'm not comfortable with. What I do know is that I'm not likely the only person in this room who has had those kinds of thoughts. And I know for sure that those coworkers of mine are not the only people to have been on the receiving end of conversations with folks who are struggling with their mental health at odd hours of the night. So I tell that story, and now you're all sitting there wondering to yourselves, well, is the seemingly innocuous act of rescheduling a meeting potentially a warning sign of a mental health crisis? To that I say, maybe, maybe not. So let's unpack that a little bit, because one of the topics I want to cover this morning is signs and symptoms of mental illness. And this is a very personal issue for me, because I got married a few years ago, and my wife brought two teenage girls to the marriage. I had never been a parent before. And now, all of a sudden, I had two teenage girls. 
I will accept your condolence cards later. <laughs> but I, I had no frame of reference for what parenting was supposed to look like in this context. I didn't know the kinds of issues that teenage girls deal with these days. And so everything looked really scary to me. And what that meant was that nearly every morning you'd find me running down the hallway to our children's division, grabbing the nearest clinician I could find and describing to them what happened last night or what didn't happen last night or what they said last night or what they didn't say last night. And in the course of doing that, I learned two really important things I want to share with you today. Actually, strictly speaking, I learned three really important things, one of which is if you annoy your coworkers often enough, they will dive into their offices every time they see you coming. Um, but the, the two far more important things, I think, uh, provide a really valuable lens that we can all use to look at children, friends, coworkers, anyone that we might legitimately want to talk to to determine if there is a mental health issue at play. The first of those is, are they still able to perform the normal tasks of daily living? And the second one is, is their behavior normal for them? Now, I realize that both of those questions have the word normal in them, and there is no such thing as normal, which means there is no such thing as abnormal either. And I brought two of my coworkers with me today, both of whom have plenty of alphabet soup behind their name, who will be on the panels later, and I'm sure that they will give me a talking to for even using that word. Michael, I'm looking at you. Um, but let me tell you what I'm talking about. Let me tell you why I use those words. On the first count, we're looking at someone's ability to do the daily things that most of us just take for granted. And I think everyone in this room would probably stipulate that sleeping is something we do every day, right? Getting out of bed in the morning, feeding ourselves, bathing ourselves, leaving the house, holding down a job, running errands, maintaining social relationships. If at some point the nature of how a person is feeling because of their mental illness precludes their ability to do those types of things on a daily basis, then we begin to look at the possibility that there might be a mental health issue at play. Now, obviously, there are situational issues that cause our ability to do those things, uh, could preclude our ability to do those things. Um, listen, if I get a call in an hour that my mother just died, I'm going to take a leave of absence from work, right? I'm probably not going to get out of bed or eat for a few days. And I think that's entirely realistic. And certainly, you know, I would not be comfortable making a determination about how long a person should take to recover from a major incident like that. So situational and environmental issues need to be considered when you're pondering sitting down with an employee and asking if they need to talk to someone about their mental health. That said, we are big proponents at MHA of the concept of checking in. And I would rather check in with someone a hundred times and be wrong every single time than to not check in once when I should have. We might also want to look for changes in habits in their social interactions. 
Many of us probably have social relationships at work, people we hang out with, people we spend time with, people we take coffee breaks with, our work wives, work husbands, our assistants, those sorts of things. So if you see a fellow staff member start to avoid those people or choose to no longer be uh, you know, part of holiday parties or departmental potluck lunches or staff meetings, then that might be a sign to look for. You might notice, too, that maybe the interaction is still there, but the nature, the tone of the interaction is, is changing recently. Um, maybe now, instead of being friendly and playing basketball after work every Friday, now those interactions, they're short, they're curt, they're impatient, they're rude. And that hasn't been the normal mode of interaction. I mentioned earlier sleeping and eating as some of the functions of daily life. But if those things are no longer happening, then that person might be tired all the time because they're not sleeping. Or maybe because they're just not ever hungry anymore, they just stop taking lunch breaks inexplicably. In the end, mental illnesses aren't going to have any more obvious outward indicators than a lot of physical illnesses would. And that is the reason that their willingness to share information about their illnesses to be forthcoming to you is going to be directly related to the environment and the culture that you have created within your workplace. Does your business operate professionally and socially in such a way that you demonstrate to your staff every day that mental health is discussed and is considered openly and comfortably and transparently? To that end, my office does dozens of lunch and learn events every single year for companies who want to show their staff that this issue is important to them. I think off the top of my head of, of flight safety, Gretemann Group, GLMV Architecture, Six Meridian, Vornado, BCS, some of those companies may be represented here today. Uh, we also provide brochures and rack cards at no cost for your literature racks and reception areas, employee break rooms, that sort of thing, and certainly hug dozens of health fairs every year as well. And then finally, through our television and our radio media partners, and across our social media platforms, we recognize and thank those companies who we know have made investments in the mental health of this community. And the thing is, your employees see that. Our average social media follower is director level and above at a company of over 200 employees. So they see when you're recognized for investing in the issue, but they also see when you're not. Another thing to consider comes from the speaking engagements we do every year, often in front of hundreds of people, and they're often arranged through human resources. And I, I always kind of have to laugh because oftentimes the HR person will pull me aside in advance to let me know going in, you know, we have, we have an EAP, we have an employee assistance program. And I'm always, I'm happy to hear that, don't get me wrong. And yet, when I go into the talk and I reference the EAP during the speech and I ask for a show of hands, of who is familiar that the benefit exists, or who knows how to utilize it, or even what it is, out of a room of 100 people, I get two hands going up. Listen, an EAP is not a panacea. An EAP is by no means a comprehensive solution to mental health issues in the workplace, but it is a good start. So if it is something that you have, please publicize it. Make sure people know what it is. Make sure people know how to use it. 
In closing, I, I talked earlier about all the stats surrounding mental illness in the workplace and the cost to our corporate sector. And I don't want for those numbers to feel overwhelming. Um, I don't want you to think there's no hope. MHA has been around 66 years in this city, and we are built on hope. We are built on recovery. And just the fact that 25% of your workforce lives every day with a diagnosable mental illness, and yet they still come into work every day and provide $32 billion worth of economic impact for this city, should tell you that mental illness is not a life sentence and is certainly not devoid of hope. But I want to give you one more stat before I leave. The Harvard Business Review published a study recently showing that companies who invest financially in the mental health of their communities see, on average, a four to one return on investment. Now, I know that many, if not most, of your businesses have very specific philanthropic pillars upon which your charitable giving is based. For some of you, it's children. For some of you, it's families, seniors, veterans, uh, education, housing initiatives. You should know that each one of these categories has a mental health component. It's one of the reasons that I choose to work at MHA despite not having any background in the field. Because anything in this community that you or I care about has an underpinning that is rooted in mental health. And we are never going to get anywhere as a city by constantly treating symptoms because these symptoms are going to continue to recur as long as the underlying illness remains. We've got nearly 200 employees at MHA, and I guarantee you every single one of us would love to work ourselves out of a job. But until that happens, I will just say once again that I'm really excited to see this cause be important to so many people in this city. I'm happy to see so many companies who want to be a part of the solution, who want to get that four to one ROI. And I know that the panel discussions happening today will help you get closer to that goal. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your time. That's it for BizTalk this week, episode 338. Check out all our podcast episodes at our BizTalk hub. It's at wichitabusinessjournal.com. Thank you for listening and subscribing. BizTalk is a production of the Wichita Business Journal. Thanks very much to our sponsor, Equity Bank. Creating the business concept turned out to be the easy part. The challenges that follow is where Equity Bank comes in. Equity Bank was built by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Let them help your business evolve and solve your challenges. Tomorrow is here. Visit them today at equitybank.com forward slash evolve. Be well and be safe. Have a profitable week.